Good morning. My name's Peter Milliken. If you uh, haven't met me before, I haven't met you. Uh, welcome to Restoration Church. And uh, it's great to see you here this morning. Uh, we're uh, finishing off a, a bit of a Christmas series that I've been doing for us in the lead up in December. And uh, first week we talked about this idea of having a white Christmas, right? We looked at Isaiah and uh, how God says, though your sins will be, are like scarlet, they will be like white as snow. And so everyone... This uh, December, even though we live in sunny, warm summer Australia, we're getting a white Christmas. And last week we talked about the gifts that were brought to Jesus and how uh, they signified and signaled that uh, Jesus was no ordinary baby to be born. He, He received three gifts that told us more about who he was. The gold represented that he had come from heaven, the frankincense and the myrrh. The frankincense was something that the high priest would offer before the Lord. And we saw that Jesus was going to be a high priest. He was our high priest. And the myrrh was the embalming oil that the Jews would use for those who had died. And so we saw that Jesus came um, to be our high priest. In order to do that, he offered himself as the sacrifice instead of a goat or a lamb. All right, so that's been the, the two weeks so far. And uh, Today, we're going to look at another aspect of Jesus. I wonder how you're feeling this morning. We're getting to the end of the year. It's been a long year uh, for some, maybe not so long for others. It's Christmas. It's frantic. It's meant to be joyous. Uh, but I reckon if you're, uh, if you're sitting here this morning, there's quite a few of us who aren't feeling so joyous. Maybe there's something that's gone on this year that's been hard. Maybe you feel like you're in a bit of a rut, that life is just difficult. It's just been kicking you over and over. And for us, some of us, you know, you can't wait for the end of 2022. And the thought of a new year is is something positive to look forward to. And some of you may feel like you don't have a lot of hope right now. And It's to you this morning that I want to speak specifically. And so if you're riding high, uh, you are welcome to listen in. But this morning, I want to speak to those who are doing things a little more harder. I want to start talking about words. Words can be powerful, can't they? they? They can really change your mood in an instant. I was uh, listening this this week to a podcast. It was an interview with um, Pastor uh, Chuck Swindoll, and you may or may not be familiar with him. Um, All you need to know is he's a very well-known, famous pastor, and you look at him and you just think, man, he must have it easy, or he's just, you know, great communicator, big church, well-loved and respected. And he's talking about his, his upbringing and his childhood And um, it was fascinating because he had parents who never believed in him. Not only did they not believe him, they never encouraged him. He had two siblings and these parents played favorites and they loved the other two and encouraged them and went to all their, you know, academic achievements and all of their sporting activities and they never went to Chuck's. And uh, he remembers when he made the band, he made the marching band, he played, I don't even know what instrument it was, and he he made the band and uh, he got a, a uniform and a pin, and he brought it home, proud as punch. And uh, as he walked in, his, his mom said, well, don't get too excited about that. And you put that in your cupboard. 
And uh, he just, he remembers that. And as he was speaking about that, there was almost like a, a strain in his voice because those words that his mum said to him, you know, probably 50, 60 years ago, stuck with him because words are so powerful. And then on the other side of the coin is there was a, uh, a teacher at the school. And uh, you need to know that he had a, Chuck had a, a stutter when he was at school. So he was not a confident kid and he would stutter all the time when he spoke. And there was a teacher at school who is in, was, uh, oversaw the, the debate team. And he came up to Chuck and said, you know what? I think you've got what it takes. I want you on the debate team. And again, as he spoke about this story, the, the strain in his voice came out as he, as he almost wept and recounted the positive words that stuck with him. He was like, it was the first time I felt like there was a hope for me in my life. And so we just understand that words are powerful, both positive and negative. And as we open the scriptures, we start with a story about God in Genesis speaking and creation coming into being. It starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created out of this formlessness and void, and there was chaos and darkness over the deep, it says. And then he spoke with his words, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And over and over again, we read about God speaking and something coming into being. He says, let there be dry land, and the waters gather, and then the earth and the seas are created, and... He says, let there be plants and vegetation and, and trees, and, and that comes to being. And then he says, let there be animals and fish in the sea and birds in the sky and beasts on the fields, and that comes into being. And then at the end of chapter 1, we have almost this pinnacle of creation as, as God creates humanity. He creates Adam and Eve. And this is what he says in Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the cre creatures that move along the ground. Notice that God uses there a first-person plural as he talks about himself. He says, let us make mankind in our image. That's the first person plural pronoun there, in, in our likeness. And we, we get a sense here, a little clue, that maybe God isn't doing this alone or all by himself. That there is more than one maybe within God or Helping him, there's an accomplice in some sense. Either way, there, there is plurality that we see in the beginning, but it's not really revealed. But all that to say, there is repetition within Genesis 1 where God speaks and creation takes place. And Psalm 33, 6 confirms this where he says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And we know that God established man in the garden that he created. And instructions were given to Adam and Eve of what they were to do and what they were not to do, right? And they weren't to eat from the fruit of the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil. But we also know that Adam and Eve rejected that. They rebelled against that and they did eat and they rejected the revelation that God had given them and they disobeyed and then they hid and they covered themselves for the text says they were naked and ashamed, right? You see, because something changed at the point that sin came into the world, that, that man chose differently to how God had created them to be. When, when they chose something that was contrary to God's goodness and instruction. And the image of God that they were created in almost, it became a little distorted. What we would say around here, and you've probably heard this all the time, is that they became less human, they became dehumanized. Something broke in them and they became or were something different to what they were before. And the Bible describes this idea as death. That's, that's the word that kind of pops up over and over to describe this, this rejection of God's revelation and this, this uh, moving away from God as death. And the experience of death shows up in so many ways, right? And now Adam and Eve will die. They will experience death. It will be a physical death and it will take time. They won't breathe their last right there and then, but they will start to get old and their body will decline and their clothes will wear out and their hair will go grey and their eyes will not see as clearly and their skin will wrinkle and thin. And if you all look over at Graham Kerr, you'll see what that looks like. Just, no, I'm only kidding. You see, this is the... Sorry, Graham. Couldn't help myself. But this is the effects of physical death. And it is visible. And one day, Adam and Eve's body will shut down. Right? Their heart will stop beating. Their lungs will no longer rise and fall. And they will die. But it's not just a physical death that came into the world there and then either. That's, there's also other experiences of death that we feel. There's plenty of ways that we become less human. It can feel like jealousy. Where you look upon somebody else and what they're able to do and the gifts and talents that they have and, and you realize you don't have them. And they have maybe the things you want or the relationship you desire or the car that you want to drive or the house that you want to live in, the attention that you crave, the friends that you want, and you just wish you had that. And, and it goes as far as, I actually wish ill upon that person to make myself feel better. That is the experience of, of death in jealousy. And, and this is what we see in the next story of Cain and Abel, Right? What happens? Cain is jealous of Abel's favor before the Lord for his sacrifice. And so what does he do? Out of his jealousy, he burns with anger and murders his own brother. It can feel like anxiety and consciously, constantly being anxious. Like you're, you're out of control and you have to wrestle back control somehow, some way. And you stay awake at night and you think about how can I get myself back to the control position in this scenario? But the truth is, 
you're never going to be able to have enough control. You, you can't. You aren't big enough. You aren't strong enough. You aren't capable enough. You can't hold enough together by yourself. And it's just exhausting. And you can physically at times feel the angst. This is death. This is Abraham. As we go through Genesis and he marries his wife, Sarah, who's beautiful. And he comes to Pharaoh, this this ruler in Egypt. And he thinks, okay, what am I going to do here? Because Sarah is beautiful. Pharaoh is going to see her and want her. If I tell him that she's my wife, he's going to kill me to get to her. And so what does he do? He tries to figure out, okay, how do I control this? How do I wrestle back this control? I know what I'll do. I'll lie. And I'll say she's my sister. And then I won't die, right? This is death showing up again in Genesis. It can feel like relational conflict. Where you just get angry, you fly off the handle, or maybe you're able to keep it together on the outside, but on the inside it just feels like there's a kettle boiling, right? And it's, it's about to boil over. Or you give someone the silent treatment, maybe your spouse, it's the way that you have relational conflict, you just, you just keep them at a distance and you don't talk to them. And maybe you're not married, you're just, you're just angry. You feel the anger within you. You don't even necessarily know what you're angry about, but you're angry. And it's just bubbling along under the surface. And This is what death can feel like at times. And this is Sarah, Abraham's wife, right? Where she can't fall pregnant. She really wants to fall pregnant. She wants to give Abraham a son. And so out of anxiety and a way to wrestle control, she says, why don't you sleep with the servant girl, Hagar? And that will bring about a son. And then Hagar does fall pregnant. And and Sarah despises her because she's able to bear a son and she's not. And The text tells us that she despised Hagar and treated her harshly. This is death in Genesis. It feels like loneliness. That you're all by yourself. You might be surrounded by human beings, but you feel desperately alone. That nobody knows you. Nobody really actually ever listens to you. And there's hurts and there's pains and they're heavy, but no one else is there to carry them but you. And when things get really quiet, there's a deep sadness inside of you because you feel like you're on your own. And this is Hagar after she flees from Sarah and Abraham and she's on her own. She's wandering the desert by herself. It feels like shame. That there's something deeply wrong with you. That you're a mistake. And if you're not a mistake, you're certainly a failure. Unfixable, unlovable. This is Noah. After he comes off the ark, he plants a vineyard and what... What does he do? He gets drunk on the wine. His son uncovers himself so he's naked. And the text says, again, just like in Genesis 3, he's naked and ashamed. 
Maybe it feels like emptiness, like there's something draining you of life and meaning, and you can't even necessarily put your, your words to it or understand it, but there's just no long-term joy. There's a restlessness of looking for satisfaction and joy, and you've tried all sorts of things, but there's an emptiness. It's a lack of significance, and it just seems like the more you chase it, the more it gets away. It's like chasing after the wind. This was me at 19. I was sitting in a gutter, throwing up after getting drunk, wondering, what am I doing? What is, what is life about? This feels so empty. And I just chased meaning and all sorts of things for two years. And I was just wondering, like, is, is there anything better than this? There's got to be something better than this. This is death. This is what it can feel like. This is what it tastes like. This is how you experience it in all sorts of ways. And it takes everything that is good, everything that God had created, and it distorts it. It deteriorates it. It damages it. And it destroys it. And as we read along in Genesis, the pinnacle of God's creation slowly but surely dies. It's not an instant death. It's, it's the death of a thousand cuts. As they are further dehumanized. And humanity that was created in the image of God becomes like, it's like the image of God slowly drifts away like a, a boat floating down a river into a, into a thick fog. And as it goes further, you feel like you can't see it the further it goes. But as we go along in the Old Testament, God continues to speak. He uses his words and he, he says things. And he talks about things that are going to happen. And they happen exactly as he says. And as we go along, we, we realize that as God reveals himself, as he speaks, he's trustworthy. And everything that he says comes true. It is always accomplished. He makes a covenant with Abraham, says he's going to be, uh, make him a great nation, and then he goes, goes and does it. He goes to Moses and says, I'm going to lead the people out of Israel, uh, Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, and then he does it. And he tells Israel, you're going to be a different nation, I'm going to give you instruction of how to do that, and then he does it, he gives them the law. And then he says, if you don't obey the law, I'm going to discipline you so that you might come back to me, and guess what, they don't obey obey the law, and he disciplines them. And then they refuse to listen, and so what does he do? He sends prophets to the nation of Israel, and they speak to the people, and what do they say when they come to the people? Right, The old King James, thus saith the Lord. Right, this is God speaking. They're going to speak on behalf of God, and they're going to say, if you don't turn, if you don't change, God says this is going to happen. And, and what happens? Exactly what God says happens. What am I saying here? Leon, Leon Morris pretty much summarizes this for. He's a New Testament commentator. This is what he says. And throughout the Old Testament, the word of the Lord is thought of as an effective agent for the accomplishing of the divine will. It's almost like God's words in themselves take on a personification when God speaks, he does something. His word is divine action. 
And this is confirmed in Isaiah 55. God himself says, verse 11, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There is this idea that God's words are the effective agent to accomplish his will. He basically says, here I am. This is what I'm going to do. And then he does it. But alas, Israel continued to choose death over and over and over. And they disobey the law and they reject the word of God and they reject the prophets. And even though God continue reveals himself in his words, they just continue to reject him. And death continues to rule and death continues to reign all the way through. So what shall God do? Because if it were you or me, and we'd been chasing after a people, our creation, for thousands of years, and they continually reject and they continually walk away and we continually reach out and they keep walking away from us and they rebel, I'd walk away. I would say, okay, you've made your choice. I'm done. I'm done with my creation. I'm done with people. I'd throw in the towel. I'd say, see you later. But that's not what happens. As we open up the Gospel of John, we have this fascinating opening paragraph. You see, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, the synoptics, they all, have, they all start their Gospel in a similar way. It's this idea of looking... Uh, from, from Earth's perspective, they start with Mary and Joseph and they start with genealogies and the manger and John the Baptist coming and clearing the way and making uh, straight the path for the way of the Lord, right? It's a very earthy beginning. And then you open the book of John and it's heaven's perspective, in a sense. It's beyond uh, Earth. This is what he says... John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, as soon as he says in the beginning, this is a throwback to Genesis 1, right? The throwback to creation. And John tells us that the Word of God that created wasn't just his speech, but it was, an, it was an agent who, when he spoke, enacted into action creation. John enlightens us to this mysterious us and our back in Genesis 1. For God's divine word that had been spoken comes to action through this divine agent. He's almost invisible in the Old Testament unless you look really carefully one of the ways that he's disguised is the Word of God. But we open up the New Testament and then in, in verse 14, John 1.14, we read this. The Word it became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
God incarnated himself into creation. He dwelt among us. And this is what Christmas celebrates. Well, should celebrate anyway, that God came to earth in the form of a human. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And he is the ultimate revelation of who God is and what God's like. And so just like the word, he's going to reveal who God is and accomplish God's purposes. What's he going to accomplish? He's going to do exactly what he did back in Genesis 1. He's going to give life. Look at verse 4 in John 1. This is what it says about Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus is going to recreate He's going to bring dead people to life. He's going to take people who are dehumanized and make them human again. Like, it's like being reborn or born again. Which is exactly what he says to Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus. What does Jesus say? No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. And Nicodemus is like, what the heck? I've got to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. Let me summarize this. Athanasius, you might have heard of him. Great defender of Christian orthodoxy in the fourth century. Right? If you don't know about Athanasius, you need to learn about Athanasius. Legend. This is what he writes. The renewal of creation has been wrought by the self-same word who made it in the beginning. There is no inconsistency between creation and salvation, for the one Father has employed the same agent for both works, effecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it in the beginning. That's good, right? It says something about how we view church history. They were saying things better than we can say it today back then. You see, for those of you who are experiencing death, you need someone who can bring life. And life isn't found in something. That's why you'll never find true fulfillment or satisfactions in, in doing things, in trying a new hobby or going on a new trip, those can bring short-term fulfillment and satisfaction. But you need something that is constantly full of life. And it's not found in something, it's found in someone. And there is an agent of life who is able to renew creation because he was the one to first affect the life of God into creation to begin with. See, Jesus is on a rescue mission. He's not discarding the old and starting something brand new over here. He's taking the old and he's breathing life back into it. 
And see, friends, Jesus is the Word, and He's really good, really good at giving life. And He made a way for us to have eternal life. And the way that He did that is He gave up His life for our death. And instead of the death that we deserved, we get His life. You see that exchange? That we might come into relationship with God the Father who is life. The life that He has within the, the Trinitarian Godhead, which is, I know this is a mind bender, right? There's, there is life within there. We are, we are connected into that through Jesus. And so where instead of physical death, we have eternal life. Instead of anxiety, we are offered peace. Instead of relational conflict, we have relational unity. Instead of loneliness, we have a friend who never leaves. Instead of shame, we have an advocate who represents us. Instead of emptiness, we can have a joy that is beyond understanding or words that can explain it. But in order to get these things, in order to experience these things, you have to get close to Jesus. They're found in Him. So how do we do that this Christmas? Not even just this Christmas. How do we do this all the time? Right? Because Christmas is coming and it's gone in a couple of weeks. Right? And, and 2023 will start. And the tinsel will come down. If you're still using that, it's tacky. The lights will go down. The tree will get packed into the box. And life will go on. And, and I will just tell you now, there will be valleys. Death is hungry. It never, wants, it never stops eating, right? It just keeps going. So how do we get close to Jesus? I want to give you one way this morning. It's not the only way. And I think sometimes we we forget how it's meant to be done. Um, And we, we do it out of obligation. We do it out of guilt. Sometimes we do it out of fear. And it's really, uh, it's not helpful. And so if, if I um, talk to you about this and you walk away with this idea of I have to do this or else or out of guilt, um, don't do it because that's not my heart. Um, and when you do this um, in that way, it, it actually can... Um, be really unhelpful and I've experienced that it's this thing it's the word of God right we call it the word of God right this is this is meant to be read not as a a book on its own like any other book like it's just words on a page this is called the Word of God because it's connected to a person, right? It has to be connected to 
the person who's speaking it. And while Jesus has left us physically and ascended, he, he reigns in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and he has given us his word for us to live by. And so this Christmas, um, I, I want to I give you something to do. But again, I don't want it to become something that you, you see as a, as a chore or a task. And, and if you don't do it, you're, you're a bad Christian or something like that. Because that's just often the way that we approach the Bible, right? We just think, oh, I'm meant to do this, I have to do this, I don't want to do this. But... Let me just kind of get it done, like going to the gym or something like that. And that completely depersonalizes it from who it is that's speaking. And so I wonder this Christmas, as you get a little bit of time off, hopefully you get some time off. Christmas Day is going to be hectic. Boxing Day is probably going to be hectic. But hopefully you get that period between Christmas and New Year's where like you don't even know what day it is. Um, nothing's open. Um, you're eating a bunch of leftovers. And I'd, I'd like you to open this and just spend some time with Jesus where you can talk to him and, and read what he might have to say to you. And uh, if you're wondering where to start or where to go, um, one of the Gospels where we read about who Jesus is, what he did, what did he say, um, that's a way that you can get close to Jesus this Christmas and into the new year and in the rest of your life. You can never exhaust this thing. You can never get to it and be like, okay, got it. Sweet, never have to open this again or there's no more depth there for me to plumb. Like, it just, it, it never ends because it's almost like it came from this, this infinite God who doesn't end. I don't normally finish with a verse, but I'm going to finish with a verse this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, right, if you haven't listened to anything I've said today, just, just listen to this, right? It's almost like this is the therefore of my whole sermon. If anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Friends, death has gone. Life can be found, and it's found in a person, in Christ. He is the creator, and he can create a fresh, a new, not just eternal life, but an ongoing life now through relationship with Him. And so I wonder this morning as we finish and pray that I just wonder if you would talk to Jesus and be really honest with Him. I have really, really honest, as honest as you can be. That would be a really good start for those who are feeling like death has got a bit of a hold on them. 
Even though salvifically we know that's not true, sometimes we still experience death. Sometimes by our own choosing, sometimes by our suffering, we are prone to leave the God we love, right? And uh, when we do that, we just experience death. That's just how it works. The wages of sin is death. There's just no way to get around that. But there is new creation. There is life to be found in Jesus when we are close to him. And so I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes before I pray for you to speak to Jesus and be really honest with him. And maybe you need to ask for him to do some creative work in your life. And you can just ask him, God, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to spend time with you. But I don't want to feel like this anymore either. And so would you create a desire within me? He can do that. Would you bring before him maybe your anger? And just ask him, Lord, would you create a way for me to deal with this in a healthy, God-honoring way that I might not feel angry anymore? And bring your loneliness to him. And be really honest and say, God, I'm lonely. I'm by myself. I don't feel like anyone knows me. But would you create a new experience of connection with you so I don't feel like I'm on my own anymore? Would you bring about friends, family within your body and create that within my life? I don't know. You, you bring what you have before him. The death that you're experiencing, wherever that is, whatever that sounds like, whatever that looks like, you be honest and then you ask the creator to create life within you. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes and then I'll pray and uh, wrap us up. And So talk to the Lord. God, we need you. We desperately, desperately need you. We need you to do creative work in our life. Many and most of us have believed in you for salvation. And we have eternal life. And, and yet sometimes we still choose death. We still experience death. It still has its effects on us. And so we ask you, out of your grace and mercy, through Jesus Christ, to bring us life in a way that we can't experience or find anywhere else. God, I pray as we open your word that we would not treat it as simply just words on a page or a book, but that we would connect it to a person, that, that we would see it as your word that have meaning and life, and that through those words that, that we might be close to Jesus and experience the life that he has for us. God, this Christmas, may we remember and experience afresh the beauty and magnificence 
of the Word becoming flesh, that you came down to save us, that you didn't leave us in death. You didn't leave us by ourselves. You didn't leave us broken. You saw a people, you saw a world, and you said, I will not leave my creation behind. I will recreate in them life. Help us to know that, experience that, believe that. May we know the love of God this Christmas. Amen.